Hi guys, I just wanted to hop on here really quick before the episode starts and give a quick trigger warning. This episode centers really heavily on mental health and specifically black mental health. So there is talk about racial trauma and abuse, microaggressions, racism, and violence against black bodies, police brutality slash lynching, which I will specifically timestamp the lynching comment. Um, there's also a brief mention of sexual assault and a mention of rape, which I will also timestamp. And there is also mention of depression and suicide. So if any of those topics are super overwhelming for you or triggering, feel free to skip this episode and we will catch you next time. Other than that, enjoy the episode. Hi, all, and welcome back to Mindful Minds. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today, we are going to be chatting about BIPOC mental wellness with Cassandra of be well sis podcast and Instagram. Um, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, I've actually been a fan of your account for a while. And so it was fun to get a response from you and like have you on. It's very exciting. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I wanted to, um, kind of give you a chance to introduce yourself and give a little bit of a background as to what be well sis is, how did it get started? What's kind of like your mission or your values for that platform and the podcast? And yeah. Yeah. Um, so I started Be Well Sis about a year ago now, and it came to life as I was falling apart, to be honest with you. I was not taking care of myself. Like self-care it was like, what's that? Um, I was doing, doing, doing and going, going, going for everybody except for myself. And I ended up going back to therapy and she was like, okay, so give me a rundown of your day. So I did. And she was like, okay, I don't see where you are in there. Like, what do you do for yourself? And I had no answer for her. So she was like, you know, going back in her notes, she was like, you know, you had mentioned starting a podcast or I mentioned all of this stuff. Like, just do it. Like, why not just try that? Um, So I felt stupid because I hate saying I'm going to do something and then not doing it. So I'm just like, you know, let me just go ahead and just do it. I'll try it for six months. If it works, if it helps, great. If it doesn't, I won't, but I need to at least try it. So I started the podcast um, in March of last year. And the reason for me to start it was not only as like a way to do something for myself, just for me, um, not for my kids, not for my husband, not for my mom, like just something where I could just be me. Um, And also because when I was looking for like wellness um, platforms, wellness podcasts, wellness like blogs and everything, I never saw myself represented. So I'm like, I know I can't be the only black woman who's into wellness. You know, I, I found that wellness became synonymous with like whiteness and affluence. I'm like, that can't be, you know, I'm not the only person who's looking for these things. So I'm like, you know what, let me just try to be what I was looking for um, and to provide people with the things that I've been looking for. So as I find, as I try to implement wellness into my life, I'll just share whatever I find. And here we are with Be Well Sis. (laughs) Yeah. I love, first of all, I love it came together like when you were falling apart. Cause I think that that's often how people get into things creatively is they are losing it and they need some sort of like, they, they look for support in what they create. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the exact same for, 
for this podcast. And then for, I've had my blog for five years and that was the exact same reason why I created my blog was I was like, I'm going to use this as a diary to like yes. vent about my mental health because yes. I'm learning a lot and my brain is having a really hard time processing everything I'm learning. So I'm going to mm-hmm. write about it. Um, but yeah. And then that was, that was actually why I found your platform was exactly what you said that in looking in, I've been so interested in mental health and wellness for a long time, but in looking for platforms that were centered on the black community, there mm-hmm. are very few like accounts, mm-hmm. podcasts, etc. And that was actually why I was kind of like, I was looking for, um, even just for my own personal mental health and wellness journey. Once again, I, like you just said, I didn't want my own journey to just be centered in whiteness. I wanted to mm-hmm. have, um, influence that, uh, wasn't just other white women <laughs> talking about their <laughs> mental health. Um, but yeah, and I'm sure that even it's so interesting too, that you started last March and how that, um, the timing of that yes. and how like wildly on point that timing was because yeah. fast forward to like what end of May I think is when, um, uh, I think it was end of, was it end of, end of May when George Floyd was killed? End of May, beginning of June. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was like right around the end of May. Mm -hmm. Um, that was something where I, I had my mental health page and I was like, Ooh, I don't do a great job of not just representing the white point of view. (laughs) (laughs) I don't do a great job at that. And I was having friends that I knew who were carrying our community. Mm-hmm. And I started seeing posts saying, like, just ask a black woman how you can help her rest, <laughs> like what you can do to support her rest. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And I remember looking around for platforms and self care kind of mm-hmm. uh, organizations or platforms. And there really aren't that many. No. And I, how, what was that like for you to kind of come in? Like, it was mm-hmm. almost like a weird, that that's a, that's almost like a, um, like a little bit of like a whoo thing. Cause that's so yeah. preemptive and like, like right before this huge time period where there was so much burnout and so much exhaustion in the black community. So right, how did that right. impact your platform? And were there a lot more people coming to you, like seeking rest? Um, yes. I mean, I think our generation is doing a little bit better than what our mothers did and what our grandmothers did in terms of like really caring for ourselves and doing things a little bit differently than what we were taught and than what we've seen. Um, which sometimes you get some backlash in your own family, in your community, because um, it's like, why you don't like you're not strong or what do you mean you need this? What do you mean you're going to therapy? What do you mean you need a self-care day or mental health day? What is that? Um, no, you're fine. She's got her kiddos hanging out with her. Um, and I mentioned that I have Stevie. So we both have <laughs> little little people or animals hanging out around us. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, and my little fine. one just opened up my office door and walked away. And now he's like screaming upstairs. Um, <laughs> no, sorry. you're totally fine. <laughs> um, yeah. So a couple things, I'm going to go back a little bit. When I started the podcast, I was doing it for 
some selfish reasons, right? And then when I put out the first episode, I'm like, and then it happened like a couple of weeks later that we had pretty much lockdown, right? So I'm like, okay, naively, I'm like, oh, I have so much more time now. No, what is, no. I'm, now I'm home with my kids 24-7 and I'm working from home. So no, right, there is no right. more time, right? Um, but you have less was time like, and we, just more people in your space. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so I was like, well, let me just keep with it because this is the only time that I have to like, A, have outside contact outside of work and B, um, that I have to myself, like for real, because I can't drive. There's no way for me to drive at this point. There's just nowhere to go. Um, And then fast forward to everything that happened this summer. Honestly, from my perspective, I feel like we were always headed there. the fatigue, just in speaking to my friends, you know, um, speaking to my family members, like we've all just been so tired of the bull and we've all been having these conversations like within ourselves, amongst ourselves, you know, and we felt it coming. We didn't know it would be, it would leave our community, this, the outrage, the sadness and all of that, and just the fatigue of it all. Um, that it would be like a national and then even a global movement, but we saw it coming. And then in terms of the rest piece that you mentioned earlier, I think we've all been so tired. And like I said, our generation is trying to do things a little bit differently. Um, millennials in general and I think it's Zillennials, Gen Z, um, get a yeah. bad rap for like not sticking with jobs and all that. It's not that we are not hardworking or whatever. It's just that we know our worth and we know that the system is not in our favor. So we have to work it the way we can. And we, we've been tired. Right. Um, and in terms of rest, I think we've, we're not trying to be superwomen anymore. You know, there's like the stereotype of like the strong black woman. I think we're over it. We're like, what does being strong get me? Gets me walked all over, die early. I'm sicker and I have worse outcomes than my white counterparts. Like me being tired does not help anybody. And I think we're trying to give ourselves the space to be soft, the space to rest um, and all that good stuff. And I just rambled. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, please ramble. Sorry, Stevie's squeaking. <laughs> Um, please do ramble. Um, that's super beneficial information. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's been, uh, it's even just been so, um, like beautiful from the outside to see even black women, like, uh, taking back their platforms where it's like, you see so many people in the comments being so incredibly demanding and, um, people are finally like, Okay, if, if I'm going to come on, hey, Stevie, <laughs> she's got her little mini tennis ball in her mouth. Um, but uh, yeah, no, if if I'm going to, you know, come on your show or mm-hmm. if if you want me to educate you or whatever, like you, I deserve payment and I deserve compensation for that. And even mm-hmm. further, like I'm not going to tolerate these certain actions and words in my space. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh that's a really, really beautiful thing to see. And I think it also was like a, a reality check for 
I think the, probably the biggest thing I learned a lot over the summer. And I think a lot of white people learned a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the thing that w- was the most uh, impactful or that I didn't realize that I was being harmful in was expecting black women specifically to educate me. And mm-hmm. I think that was one of the biggest things that um, I'm so glad was spoken about. And that was um, mm-hmm. kind of people were finally being made aware of humans are humans. Yeah. And, uh, people have thresholds and, mm-hmm. um, especially when you're talking about trauma, mm-hmm. which if I then compare it to myself, which I think a lot of the times you have to compare it to yourself to try to understand and empathize. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking like, if I were to be talking about my traumas all the time and having people then come to me and bark at me to educate them about my trauma, I was like, right. fuck, I'd be exhausted. Like, yeah. of course I'd be exhausted. Yeah. And so I think that there were a lot of reality checks in that of like, like you said, black women are not super women. Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't have to be that for white women. They don't have mm-hmm. to put on this, like even to be the strength for white women and to educate mm-hmm. them and to walk them through. And we're even seeing that in the media right now with Sharon Osbourne and all that oh, bullshit God. that's going on, which God. I think that was even, and I hope that that actually resonates with even some of the white women who maybe didn't get it over the summer. Mm-hmm. Maybe when you see a white woman yelling at a black woman, quite mm-hmm. literally the words educate me, yeah, <laughs> maybe right. it sticks. Like maybe then and, you look at it and say, oh, is that how I look? Because that, that looks uh, really ridiculous. And she was like, and you better not cry. I should be crying. Are oh, you kidding me? That I made my to blood boil. Jump. <laughs> yes. I wanted to jump through the, the screen and like shake her. Are you kidding? I felt yeah. so bad for Cheryl because in some ways I was in her shoes before where- yeah. You're being the one who's being yelled at and like verbally, like, I don't know if it's assaulted or accosted. I would whatever say it, it was is. verbal assault for sure. I, yeah, I would definitely, I think it earns that title. And you can't even speak up for yourself because anything you say, anything you do, then you're the angry black woman and you're yes. in the wrong, you're aggressive and you're this and you're that. And it, it just sucks. I felt for her so much. Um, And that's the thing that's insane is you watch that clip back and anyone who has a rational mindset, you look at Cheryl and she was so calm and Mm -hmm. so rational. And Mm -hmm. and you go to a communications expert and they're going to say that she did everything right. Mm -hmm. She even, she prefaced the conversation with her intentions. Mm -hmm. She was graceful. She, Mm -hmm. um, you know, communicated love and friendship. She even did the typical like sandwich concept that you learn in like a basic (laughs) communication class where you want to sandwich it with compliment, criticism, compliment. She even went as far as doing that, which she doesn't owe Sharon that at all. But like you said, if she didn't do that, if she wasn't, if she didn't come to the conversation, and I do think she also has a friendship with Sharon and she wants to try to help her learn. But Mm -hmm. if she didn't come with that grace and that love and that empathy, she would be criticized. Mm -hmm. And then you have this what 60 something year old white woman Mm -hmm. literally screaming and cussing to the point Mm -hmm. where they had to go to commercial. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, if you can't see the double standard in this, like, right. You got to check your eyes a little bit here because it is like, it it was blatant. Blatant. Yeah. And and I think there's, um, that situation speaks to like, there's like, um, a 
power dynamic, you know, if we're really honest, even amongst women, you know, black women and white women, there is always going to be like the white woman is looked upon as soft and she may have been hurt. And that's why she's acting this way. And if a black woman um, meets her equally, then there's a problem. And there is a a difference in power. And I know um, the conversation also shifted to... um, this past week, I think on Twitter, I was seeing how people were bringing up the past, how Hallie Robinson Pete was on the show a couple of years ago and she was pretty much kicked off the show. I think, I don't know if Sharon Osbourne is like a producer as well. I don't know, but she has like, I think she has a lot of uh, weight Yes, in, in the, even in the entertainment industry in general, mm-hmm. um, which is also I, fucking cracked me up this is all of our Piers Morgan it's like he's the I biggest know. asshole like we're really uh, gonna die on this hill you can't die on a hill like that's- this though like I feel like I just found out about him with no. Megan Markham oh Markham. my god no he's horrible and he's always been horrible really um yeah and even if you go back and watch like when he was on America's Got Talent he was mm-hmm. even a dick then and I think everyone oh, was younger and maybe didn't I didn't recognize it as I much wasn't paying attention yeah Yeah but his his he's made headlines a lot and it's always women mm-hmm. it's always him shitting on women He's pathetic Ugh. Um yeah and he's actually been coming for Megan for like like years <laughs> Yes <laughs> like yes. and I heard the backstory on that and we can go into this as well um yes. it was because it sounds like he interpreted that – I don't know if they actually went on a date. I don't really want to mm-hmm. take his word for that because I think mm-hmm. men in general can take um, an outing or a friendship and right. then just right. be like, oh, my God, she loved, she loved me. Right. And it's like, okay, no, like <laughs> you guys went out for drinks and like we're like you know in the same community. That's not what that was. Um, and I think very highly of Megan and I have, I was a Suits fan. So I was like, I've been a fan of her since I was fucking like 13 years old. Like I have always <laughs> loved her and I don't see her ever going on a date with Pierce Morgan. So right? <laughs> I'm not going to take his word for that, but apparently they went on a, a, a outing. We're going to call it right. an outing. And <laughs> she basically just didn't call him back. And he, that no shit, that is his basis to sit there and just ravage her name on a talk show and to then make racially driven comments about her and take a, a something. I don't care if you like her or not. If mm-hmm. someone's going on national television and there's quite literally like empirical proof mm-hmm. showing that she has been harassed and targeted. Mm-hmm. And then she gets up there and has the, the vulnerability and the yeah. um, bravery to talk about suicide and you get on your talk show and take that as a moment to like shit on her. Yeah. And that's, that's once again, we can go straight back to the way that the black woman is treated versus the white woman. Yeah. Yeah. If Megan was white, that would not have happened. Hell no. Are you kidding? There would have been suicide hotlines posted everywhere. Everywhere. Yes, absolutely. And you know what else too is when she mentioned that she was suicidal and she was pregnant, that just spoke so many volumes. It wasn't a child that she didn't want. It was a child that she and her husband, the the damn prince of England, (laughs) like they conceived together and she's suicidal then, which should normally be like a joyous moment. My God, like even to bring in that of even like even the the lack of education around um, black birth and black pregnancy, 
where mm-hmm. there there aren't conversations or resources, or if there are, there are very little mm-hmm. um, about how to support black mm-hmm. women. Because if if I think the way that you, as a white person, the way mm-hmm. I have to think of it is like, yes, every pregnant mother mm-hmm. can go through uh, prenatal depression or postpartum mm-hmm. depression, right? Mm-hmm. Now let's uh, take just the normal weight of a pregnancy which mm-hmm. is so it's going to be so emotional so hormonal etc cetera, mm-hmm. etc cetera, etc cetera. now let's add the weight of being black mm-hmm. and now let's add the weight of being a black woman mm-hmm. and now you've got like three times the weight mm-hmm. emotionally that you're mm-hmm. carrying and yet there's less resources Yep, less resources and statistically speaking the US has the worst outcomes for maternal maternal health right and then within that, Black women statistically are, depending on where you live in the U.S., you're three to ten times more likely to die during childbirth compared to your white counterparts. And yeah. with that said, like even white women, we in the U.S. do the worst compared in all industrialized nations. Like yeah, America no, is just just awful, just in general. Yeah. But yes, to be a black woman in, in this system is is something else. Um, yeah. And then the infant mortality rate too. Everything mm-hmm. is just like so you're mm-hmm. so much more at risk. Mm-hmm. Which the bullshit of that is so much of that is medical education, and is doctors literally not being trained. Or really. having these different like uh, misconceptions or yeah. negative connotations, yeah. um, even like the dumb thing that's been around for so long that's so stupid of thinking that black individuals can handle more pain. Yes. And, and you know, the thing is, people go off and then become doctors, lawyers, um, whatever, work at Target, where, whatever you are in real life, whatever biases you have, you bring that into your workplace, right? Sometimes you don't even realize that you have these biases. So whenever you have a patient, if the patient does not necessarily look like you, you just won't care for them as much. And, and that's so unfortunate. Um, my background is that I, I'm a professor now, but I went to medical school and just seeing throughout my training was so disheartening. Um, Most of my training was done in um, black and brown um, inner city hospitals. Right. And just the way my patients were spoken about was just like, my God, why are we judging this patient before we even actually see them? We haven't seen this patient yet. Um, Why do you think that they're non-compliant and that they don't care? They may not have the education or they don't have the resources outside of this these four walls to get whatever they done um, get whatever is needed to better their health outcomes. You know, um, yeah, it, it's just a lot. It, it's a lot. I was just thinking about how with my second child I had complications, and even with like my level of education, I was just brushed off. And my complications. I had a hunch feeling that something wasn't right, but I didn't have like any data and I, nobody pried, nobody wanted to look into it. They're like, well, you're young, you're healthy, like you're fine. The baby's fine. Come to find out he wasn't fine. You know, thank goodness he's fine now, but it was something else. And it, the thing with black women too, is we aren't allowed to just be vulnerable and trust that everything is going to be okay. Whenever you're sick or whenever you're in a vulnerable position like having a baby, 
Um, you just need to be able to take care of that thing, you know, not being vigilant to like make sure that you're getting the proper care and the care that your peers are getting. You know what I mean? It's just, it's so much harder. And I, now I've, I really advocate for every birthing person, especially black and brown people to have a doula with them. You need to have that extra support. You can't just do it by yourself, especially when you're you're trying to bring a life into the world, your focus should be on that. And then you should have yeah. people around you to to help direct everything, you know? Yeah, um, you need somebody to fight for you in that. Yes. Especially if you're in a position, and I, hell, if you have the finances for a doula, like mm-hmm. in any situation, even mm-hmm. a postpartum doula to help you mm-hmm. through some of the postpartum. And there are, um, I'll actually post some resources because I know that black uh, Mama's Matter Alliance has yes. some resources for um, doulas and for even like discounted doulas or free doulas. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of doulas who do like kind of like pro bono kind of mm-hmm. work. But mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, it's just like I remember hearing a story about um, even someone who in the heat of the moment and having, um, you know, like uh, they're, you're higher in labor. Like you're not. Mm-hmm. Your brain is not going to function at full capacity. And um, a doctor kind of was just like made a call and the woman didn't really have the mental space or even the clarity to be able Mm -hmm. to question that call or say, Mm -hmm. hey, that wasn't a part of my birthing plan. I don't want to do that. And Mm -hmm. so next thing you know, like I think it was an epidural. And Mm -hmm. next thing you know, like she has an epidural and she didn't want an epidural. Mm -hmm. And it was just like she didn't have the space or the mental capacity to – Sit there and say, you know what? Because you're, you know, like you said, you're, that's the last thing that you need. And I think, Mm -hmm. uh, like you said, in the black community, I think that's also probably why the line in the Meghan Markle interview of like, I regret that I believed them, like Mm -hmm. that I was safe. Mm -hmm. I heard so many black women being Mm -hmm. like, God, if that doesn't describe being a black Mm -hmm. woman. Because it's, it's like you said, you mm-hmm. don't have the privilege, frankly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to just trust people yep. and just be safe. And obviously yep. women don't have that in general, but then you yep. take someone who's also black mm-hmm. and you're going to like triple that or quadruple yeah. that. Um, and so I guess a good segue would be in, in that, in that constant kind of fight or flight, uh, uh, phase and mm-hmm. that mindset where you're constantly having to be so vigilant and so uh, kind of on all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. How do you find rest in that? And how Ooh. do you prioritize yourself in that? And if oh you don't gosh. have an answer, then we can sit and brain, you know, <laughs> workshop it. But I'm curious of your take on that. Oh, man. For me, um, I didn't realize that I was constantly in fight or flight until I burned out. And I learned it in therapy, right? And I am now learning to be present, be in the moment, um, or not be in the moment. Because there are so many instances where you actually have to be on. It's not that you're, it's like pathological. It's like, no, 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 you actually need to be on for this. So knowing when to like step out of that and to step back into myself, you know, Um one thing that I'm doing now is just, it's not much, but spending a couple minutes like doing like a guided meditation just to like silence my brain. Cause, um, especially then when you become like a parent, 
and dealing with school systems and all that stuff, um, you have to silence all that's happening inside my head, you know? Um, so I didn't believe in meditation before. I thought it was like mumbo jumbo. I'm like, what is that? But it helps just to breathe. Um, during my last, um, having my last son, it was completely unmedicated. And I remember I asked a friend, like, how did she go unmedicated? And she was like, girls remember to breathe. I'm just like, that's such stupid advice, but I get it now. <laughs> so just remembering my breath and to take a breath, um, makes a huge difference. And then another thing is finding ways to rest. Sometimes rest is actually going to sleep. Um, getting a couple extra hours if I can on the weekends. Sometimes it's just like, it sounds stupid, but just like sitting and just daydreaming for a little bit or just finding ways to like intentionally seek joy in in my life. Um, unplugging from the internet and all that stuff. Um, reading a book. I got a pair of skates this weekend. (laughs) You got a pair of skates? I did. Oh my God. I love that. Listen, I got all the gear too. So I'm going to look really, really corny. No, I mean, hi. That's awesome. How dumb is that? That as children, we were taught that like having gear on, like safety gear is like geeky. It's like, I don't don't want to break my arm. I feel like this is valid. Um, Yeah, no, that's all such good advice. I I've definitely resonated, but the breath thing is so, it's now kind of overrated because now people talk about it all the time, but right. it used to be like, no one talked about it. And I remember yeah. I went into my first support group for like trauma and she was like, yeah, so like, and she taught us how to breathe first of all, because a lot of people think that it's just the deep breath in, deep breath out. And when you do that, and I, it had never clicked as to why that's not always the best until she explained it this way. Mm. But if you hyperventilate, hyperventilating is still a deep breath in, deep breath out. So you can be taking breaths and be hyperventilating because you're still going, <laughs> you're still uh, yes. doing deep breath in, deep breath gotcha. out. And so she was like, "There, pause, do a deep breath in, hold it for three seconds and then deep breath out. Because mm. if you are having some sort of anxiety or something, you mm. pause yourself And then if you get in the habit of doing that pause, if you're ever in a space where your breathing is really out of control, your body has already been trained to pause and to slow it back down. Mm. Um, But I remember literally like she, she was explaining the like literally like medical benefits of breath. And I think I even said out loud in my support group, like, why did no one tell me this? I was like, what the fuck? Like I could stop my panic attacks with breathing and no one told me. Yeah. and then, yeah, the finding joy thing, um, just as even, uh, I don't know if this will help anyone, but for me, my dog almost just knocked down the entire setup. Um, <laughs> she jumped over me. Um, but no, with, uh, like joy and finding joy, you can get so wrapped up in the cycle of being a human. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, especially with a capitalistic society, we are mm-hmm. taught to go, 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 go. And mm-hmm. once again, being a black person in a capitalistic society, that's mm-hmm. going to be tripled. Mm-hmm. And you don't really get taught. And I think this is why we are differing so much from the older generation is you don't get taught to seek out joy or to seek no. out um, anything that is fulfilling. No, You're taught just to go. Yep. And so Absolutely. our generation is making those decisions of like, I remember the first time I've only quit 
like two jobs, I think in my life. And one Mm -hmm. of the jobs I quit, I didn't give a two week notice. And Mm -hmm. I remember I felt so guilty, but it was wrecking my mental health and it was the most toxic culture and it was all women. And there was so much gossiping and shit Mm -hmm. talk about everybody on the team. And it was a preschool, which is insane. I was a preschool (laughs) teacher and all the other preschool teachers were vicious. And I remember like, going home every day and like feeling icky because I either got gossiped about or I found myself wrapped up in the gossip. And then I came home and I was like, that's not me. Like, I don't like that. And I just quit. And I quit with no two weeks. I didn't have a backup plan. I had no job. I just quit. And I remember like my mom was like, you didn't give them two weeks. And I was like, it was wrecking me. Yeah. Like, no, I just quit. And my mom was kind of like, okay, like, (laughs) <laughs> All right. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to work for you. But it was like I needed – We're I think our generation is slowly realizing that prioritizing yourself mm-hmm. is not selfish. Mm-hmm. It can be selfish. And I think that that's even a good caveat where we've even swung a little too far on the self-care pendulum. And now some people mm-hmm. will just like – drop their relationships or drop their frindships and ghost people and like, you know, be, be a bad friend and then be like, it's self-care. self-care you're like, right. No, you're being rude. <laughs> like, right. Those are right. Different things. <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're finally taking some of that, like, um, uh, just knowledge of prioritizing yourself. And even mm-hmm. with the joy aspect, this is kind of what I wanted to lead into was, um, I remember two summers ago, I think I got out of a really bad relationship. I had a really bad breakup and, I made it a goal for a summer where I printed out a piece of paper on Canva because Canva made it all cute. And Mm -hmm. I listed things that make me happy and like activities that I can do that make me happy. And I had never sat down and actually tried to find things that bring me joy. And I remember I even was like, what is, what's my favorite color? Cause I was like, what color makes me happy? And I didn't know. I was like, well, I like pink because I'm a, girl and I grew up in a pink room. Like, I guess I like pink. And then I was sitting there and I was like, pink doesn't make me happy. Like what colors do I like? And I literally was on Pinterest looking at colors being like, which one brings me joy? Like pulling a Marie Kondo (laughs) with colors. And I found like a yellow and like an emerald green. And I was like, oh, I like these. And so I surrounded my space, which if you're, if you look in my house, I'm like literally looking around my room, there is yellow, like everywhere around my house and my couch is Mm -hmm. green. My chairs are green. And I listed out all these different things. And I, cause I, people would ask me my hobbies and I'd be like, work in school. Like that, those are my, and so I've literally started just trying random things and being like, what do I like? Cause I don't know what I like. And I found out I like embroidery and I like making jam, which is such a grandma fun thing to like. I love it. Yeah. It was something that I had never actually, like you said, taken time to be present in that mm-hmm. and literally be intentional mm-hmm. and mindful, if we want to bring it back to mindfulness, of mm-hmm. coming back and saying, what brings me joy? And that's yeah. also where you break capitalism <laughs> in the yeah, sense of like, sure. you're because capitalis- capitalism is abusive and it's almost kind of yep. that moment where you take back your power from your abuser where you are just seeking out joy and you're not trying to just be a machine. You're, you really are seeking out, um, something to fulfill you that might not line up with how you're supposed to work in the system. Yeah. Um, but I, I, yeah, go ahead. 
Sorry, I, I think that's the only silver lining from living in a pandemic. Um, when everything shut down, we all went within. So either we had to sit with ourselves and have those conversations like, oh shoot, what color do I like? Because now I'm not surrounded by all my friends or if I'm not married or living with my partner, um, I'm just by myself, right? So now I have to like figure out like, who am I? What do I like? What's fun? And let me see what I can do. So a lot of people started getting plants. People got pets. People started baking bread. Just people started doing things like gardening and just getting back to the basics and figuring out what they like. All these hobbies that sprung up is because we had a little bit more bandwidth to to do that, you know? And that's the only thing that I really appreciate about the the pandemic is how we all had to go within. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. I know for myself, last like last summer was hard as hell because I had to really get to know myself and some things I didn't like about myself, you know, or I asked myself questions I had absolutely no answer. Like, girl, do you even know who you are? You are 30 plus, like what's going on? Um, but it's uncomfortable, but it's good to figure out who you are and to redefine success too. I think our generations are really good at that. Um, like this may have worked for my parents, but it's not working for me. So let me change that. Like that may be fine for you, but it doesn't feel good to me. So let me figure out what feels good to me and let me do that. And I love that about our generation. Yeah, we got some rebellious motherfuckers and the last kind of mm-hmm. like the millennials Gen Z. Yes. Um, yes. Which I think was like our parents' nightmare. Because oh, well. I think a lot of us were like <laughs> really like I, I was a firecracker as a kid, and a lot of people who I know who like I think there are a lot of firecrackers. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it also is this like and like yeah, I agree. I don't. I also don't think that the racial conversations that happened um, over the summer would have happened unless we had COVID. I think it, yeah. uh, and it's it's yeah. it's a shitty thing, but I think yeah, it like, provided this this space for even freedom for um, if you even think about protests, there mm-hmm. were so many people involved because so many of us were fucking unemployed. Yes, <laughs> it was like Absolutely. nobody has anything to do, so it was like Absolutely. all this time, which yep. was huge. And it wasn't even yep. that you know I think a lot more people you know wanted to be involved, but there especially in protests in the past. Mm-hmm. Because of capitalism, we keep bringing mm-hmm. back capitalism, but because of capitalism, mm-hmm. you, you can't just leave your job and nope. go protest some days. You can't. Yep. And um, I think that the pandemic provided the space where so many people were unemployed um, mm-hmm. and had space. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was just like, it also provided um, so much time for education. Mm-hmm. If you chose mm-hmm. to use that time wisely, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I think a lot of people did, and a lot of people chose to be bitches on Facebook, but you know. Um, but yeah, I remember like I didn't have a job and mm-hmm. I was unemployed during that time period and I mm-hmm. couldn't protest. Um, I had my sister is highly immunocompromised and she's a mm-hmm. minor. And mm-hmm. so I made the decision that I can't make a decision for me. And then that I can't get her consent for that's gonna impact yeah. her. Yeah. And so instead Um, I didn't, I didn't have a job and I was like, I have to be involved. And so I literally spent, like, I would literally schedule it out like a fucking work day Mm -hmm. and I would call senators and I would sign protests. And I was like, I'm Mm going to make this my full-time job. I have nothing else to do right now. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to spend my day watching reruns Mm -hmm. of the office if I can Mm -hmm. be doing this. 
And I think it provided a space where so many people had time. Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason why it was so fucking massive. Yeah. Because people had time. Time is one and there were just less distractions because where we would have been hanging out with our friends at the mall, shopping, at restaurants, eating. Right. There's none. That's all gone. There was none of that. We're just focused on like one thing, like, oh shit, like this has been happening. Oh, this is what they've been talking about. Oh, right. okay. <laughs> right. And even, I think, even, I, I really do think it was kind of this perfect storm of, like you said, there were also black communities who were done, mm-hmm. who were done, who just mm-hmm. like their, their threshold had been reached and mm-hmm. they were ready to fight. And I think mm-hmm. that that spearheaded so much of it. Mm-hmm. And then you've got, um, even the conversations that had been leading up to this point where you start to open up certain dialogues that had led up to it. And then you've also got um, everything with Trump where there were Mm -hmm. even so many people that were just fed up with him Mm -hmm. that then you've got um, people. And even I think the election coming up, you have more people tuning into the news, more people staying up on the news, partially to keep up with COVID, partially to keep up with stuff going Mm -hmm. on with the election. Mm -hmm. And, I was not someone who really watched the news. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going through a sexual assault investigation all through college. And I remember, mm. and that was like literally like le- the, what, like two years before 2020. Mm-hmm. And I remember, uh, especially with Trump, I was like, I cannot see all this every day. But yeah. unfortunately, by kind of uh, omitting news, I omitted a lot of things that I didn't realize I was omitting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then- 2020 came and I was like, well, I have to watch the news because I have to see if we're all going to (laughs) die. Like, I have to get some sort of insight into how bad this is. And then I started to kind of, and I remember then even conversations on social media saying, if you've been checking out of the news for the past three years, you need to fucking check back in. And Mm -hmm. I remember being like, ooh, Mm-hmm. I've been checked out for two years and I didn't realize how much I had missed and how much I had kind of accidentally excluded myself from and even how much privilege there was in that, that I had the mm-hmm. ability to check out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it helped me understand even more so like that's part of why black people are so fucking tired because yes. they weren't able to check out. Like I was yes. able to check out for three years and not have this constant tension in my face. The tension, yes. uh, it doesn't even involve me, yes. but it's, yes. it's still exhausting to read about, but it doesn't yeah. involve me compared to you have people who quite literally can't check out. And then it's mm-hmm. literally their generational trauma mm-hmm. <laughs> being thrown and, in their face. <laughs> yes. And, and there was a level of frustration too. It's like, for me, I was like, okay, so I'm, happy that the world is like seeing it now but at the same time I'm like annoyed like we've been saying this like we weren't lying before we weren't exaggerating before because that was always a thing too and I think I still hear it sometimes online it's like oh you make everything about race well I mean actually no I haven't like Black people have not made it about race. I think the white collective have made it about about race unfortunately we're on like the, the we get the short end of the stick like We've, we've been saying these things and it's like, it was so annoying and frustrating. Like you finally see that I'm bleeding. You finally see that I've been telling you I'm bleeding for years, right? but you just dismissed it. Now you see it. And now you're like, Oh my God, let me get you some bandages. Ma'am. I've been bleeding. Like right. it's just, it was very frustrating in and some I, ways. Yeah, I think that was, I was 
having a hard time on social media at the beginning because I was following a lot of activists and a mm-hmm. lot of it was black women and they were mm-hmm. pissed. And mm-hmm. I remember being like, Oh, I feel really bad about myself. Like, <laughs> I don't know how to deal with this. And I would start to get defensive. And, um, uh, luckily I had someone in my life who was further in the journey than I was, mm-hmm. who was white, who mm-hmm. was able to kind of take that educational role and mm-hmm. say, in the most loving way possible, hey, can I explain to you why they're pissed? Mm -hmm. And can I explain to you why you don't have the right to be offended or Mm -hmm. defensive or frustrated by any of this? Can I Mm -hmm. explain that to you? And it was never in a condescending way, but it was Mm -hmm. because he had the space to do that and he had the mental energy because he hadn't been sitting there bleeding for three years. You know what I mean? So it was like I had someone that was able to step in and say, hey, I'm going to take some of this real quick and explain it to you because Mm -hmm. they don't need to be explaining it to you right now. They don't have Mm -hmm. the energy to be doing that. Mm -hmm. I do. Let me Mm -hmm. explain it to you. And it was also someone that I trusted and that I knew personally and that knew my heart behind things. And I was constantly, I think that the instantaneous human reaction is to be defensive. So I was constantly checking myself because I would read something and I'd be like, (laughs) and then I'd be like, okay, hang on. (laughs) I need to like pause for a second. Um, because let me try to read this with the context. And I think a lot of that was the issue was you were seeing so much frustration and there was Mm -hmm. no patience left, Mm -hmm. which is Mm -hmm. so valid, Mm -hmm. but people would come in. And I think some white individuals were able to step back and say, let me read into the context here and let me see how much I've had a place in this and why they're Frustration is valid and why Mm -hmm. my defensiveness is not. But then Mm -hmm. there were a lot of people who, uh, I think once again, because they had just checked out and even hadn't educated themselves, there was a, um, kind of, you know, white woman defensiveness, specifically white women, um, defensiveness thing where it was like, well, why are you so mad? And it's like, okay, if you read into the context of this, any, any situation out of context is going to be slightly confusing. But you have all the ability and all the resources and knowledge in the world to access this context, and you're choosing not to. Mm-hmm. And that's on you. And, and it goes back to mindfulness, too, really, you know, to like check yourself and check in with yourself. Like, okay, why am I feeling this this feeling? What is What is it that I'm actually feeling? And then like work through that and then go back and like get educated about it further if you choose to. I think um, what this country was going through and is going through, um, for me, I think it's like therapy. You don't sit with your therapist for like 10 hours. You sit with with her or him for like an hour, maybe an hour and a half, two hours max. Then you have like a week apart. Then you go back. You don't sit there and you can't hash through everything all at once. It's too much. Like your brain can't process it. Your heart can't process it. Like it's just too much. You have to take little pieces, chunks of it, dissect it, see how you're feeling, see what it means to you, if if anything at all, and then go back and get some more. Like you just can't do it all at once. I think I felt it in June and even maybe a little bit in July. It was just too much information for people who had not been physically dealing with it since they were children, you know? so it, yeah, the, it was a, it was an information overload a little bit. Yes. So the people who I would see in, in comments who are just like really snappy and 
like trying to put people in their places, quote unquote, I was just like, all right, you just need to like log off the internet for a second, go for a walk, clear your brain, and then maybe come back. Like just disengage. And it's okay to disengage sometimes. Yeah, yeah, no. And I I think it was also something where because it was so real time, there was a lot of trial and error and kind of learning as you go. Mm -hmm. And I remember like, uh, well, even uh, even when the woman started going around with the X instead of the E, uh, that mm-hmm. everyone was like, okay, <laughs> we'll use that. <laughs> and then come, you know, no one listened to the trans community about it. Mm-hmm. And the trans community mm-hmm. came out and said, uh, Hey, that's actually not helpful. And everyone was like, Oh shit, sorry. Like <laughs> we were, no one was even really critically evaluating what in, information they were intaking because we were all just trying to intake it as fast as fucking possible. Yes. Um, and I, yeah, I, I even got into that kind of keyboard warrior uh, stance where I was like, um, I, we went way too far. I, me and a few of my friends were like, really? Um, cause I, I do think that it, it showed a very certain level of privilege and insensitivity where everyone is posting about someone getting murdered. And then you've got people posting their brunch photos and it's like, mm-hmm. okay, either hop off social media or like, don't mm-hmm. post like you look fucking mm-hmm. stupid, but <laughs> we, there started to be some sort of um, a script passed around of like how to confront people who hadn't posted anything. Mm. And I took it upon myself to be that person. So I was sending people <laughs> DMs being like, I see you haven't posted anything. Like why? And oh, I did boy. it for like a few days. <laughs> and then I literally like had all, every single person that I DM'd um, and it was probably like 15 people were like, what the fuck? And we're like pissed. And I was like, okay, this is not going well. Like no one received this. And I had to like take a serious step back and be like, okay, maybe my methods are not actually, oh, Stevie has the zoomies. Um, maybe my methods are not helpful. Um, and yeah, there was a lot of like, and I think it was also one of those things where if you were having an information overload, maybe you step back because I think mm-hmm. that the frustration from at least a lot of black women that I heard from were, was uh, we don't care. <laughs> we don't mm-hmm. care if you're overloaded right now because we've been mm-hmm. overloaded for a very long time. So like, if mm-hmm. you need to step back, step back, but don't go mm-hmm. on your Instagram and fucking complain about it, mm-hmm. um, which was valid. But yeah, there was, I think that there was, um, I'm a very action justice person and I'm also very, uh, I can get very into things. And like, obviously I can get confrontational when I'm like really <laughs> in it. And I remember I was like, I was doing this, you know, eight hours a day where I was trying to help and help and help and help. And I just felt like I wasn't doing enough. And I was just pissed because I was like, I I have so much time and I want to be using that time wisely. And my partner at the time quite literally had to be like, you need to give yourself a lunch break because you're not eating lunch. If this is a job and you're pretending that this is a job or you're, you're using this as since you don't have a job and you're kind of taking this as your work day, work days have lunch, Yeah, eat lunch. And I was like, yeah. okay. And then we, there was so much media coming out or even lists of media of like, watch these movies. And I remember <laughs> I was exhausted and I was tired and I was upset and emotionally drained. Uh, and I was like, I'm going to force myself to watch this movie. And I was like, and my partner was like, we can watch it tomorrow. And I was like, no, no, we got to do it now. And he was like, Balance. he's like, okay, you don't like, you're going really overboard with this. And if you're not going to be able to help anybody or learn anything, if you're burnt out. And I was like, yeah. I don't care. <laughs> and it is like, there is a balance in, mm-hmm. um, in, you know, being intentional and educating yourself and mm-hmm. even doing work. 
And sorry, Stevie's fucking digging a hole yes. over here. Um, okay. <laughs> she's she's like gone through like five phases of zoomies in the past hour. Um, but yeah, it, it there's and even just in society in general, you're taught so often to go 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 go. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people either hit their burnout spot or were kind mm-hmm. of forced to rest, like you said, because of mm-hmm. COVID. There was mm-hmm. kind of this forced into a corner, hey, you have to reflect here a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I was just talking with someone else about the fact that growth is never comfortable. And I don't know mm-hmm. where we got that idea that it was cute and fun yeah. and comfy. It sucks. Yep. And we were talking about how healing as an individual is painful and healing as a society is painful. Healing in general sucks. Like it's terrible, but from your perspective, yeah, yeah, no, the outcome is beautiful, but it can take a long time to get there. Yep. And how would you address, um, I'll specifically aim it towards the BIPOC community because I do want this episode to be more of a resource for that community than for the white community. Um, Mm -hmm. how would you, give advice to that community of if you're reaching your burnout spot, how to even mm-hmm. recognize burnout. Cause I think that that's really mm-hmm. tricky mm-hmm. and how to then approach it and try to get mm-hmm. back to a spot where you feel like you have space and time to give. Yeah. Well, I'll speak from my personal experience. When I was burnt out, I burnt myself out to the point of depression to the point where I was really grateful that my kids were healthy, that everything was good on the outside, right? But I would go to bed every night and just pray that I just didn't wake up in the morning. Um, That's extreme burnout. But just looking back a little bit further, just me being a little bit snappy and moody and not being able to sleep well, eating too much, not eating um, enough, um, just being on edge and just waiting for that, like that feeling that you're waiting for that, the shoe to drop, like that's burnout. Or if you are in a work environment where you just absolutely dread going in, cause I used to sit in my car, um, before walking to work for a while, because I'm just like, God, I don't want to go there. Um, those are signs of burnout and burnout looks different for everybody. Right. But you, you don't want to get to that point where like you're constantly on edge or just severely happy with a specific area in your life where you can pinpoint what it is that you're not happy about. It's so important to make time for yourself. You matter. Like you are not what you produce, you know? Um, We're fed as a society. um, Like, you know, if you work hard, you'll get all the things that you want. That's not true for black people. Like we literally built this country and look at us like, the poverty rates do not match what we contribute to society. If you even think about during COVID, most of the essential workers are black and brown people. And we just finished not giving them a fucking pay raise. Like minimum wage is still not $15 an hour. $15 an hour still is not great. Like, I don't know. How are you going to, on one hand, call these people essential workers, but not give them what they need to survive? I mean, 
that's another point. Anyway, um, just know that you are enough, that you deserve rest, um, that you deserve joy, you deserve peace. Figure out what that looks like for you and then give it to yourself for one hour a day. One hour is not too much. Like You deserve an hour just to be you and to feel good for an hour. So whether that is if you like to go on walks, that if you like live in a neighborhood that you know you feel safe and that you have access to like sidewalks and all that good stuff, go for a walk. If you haven't talked to a girlfriend or a guy in a while that somebody you care about in a while, call that person up and just talk. Like just shoot the shit for a bit. Um, read a book, meditate, just. Whatever it is that makes you feel happy, just do that thing for an hour every single day. You, you're worth it. You, and in four weeks, I know for a fact, if you consistently find your, an hour for a day, um, you'll feel a difference. Yeah. And I love the hour a day thing too, because that's attainable. That's mm-hmm. not some, I, I think once again, it all comes back to balance. I'm all in or all out. And so a lot of the times I can be like, I need a self-care weekend. And then I get on my weekend and like, I have 45 things to do. And then it's now I'm like, okay, I didn't do any of it. Um, But how, I know that you mentioned um, that you're worth it and you deserve rest. What would your advice or your perspective be on a situation where maybe someone doesn't have that view of their own self-worth and doesn't feel like they're deserving of rest? And I think in like we mentioned in the black community, like black people are expected, black people specifically, I think most minorities, but black people specifically are expected to just be like working machines where you're just expected to go, 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 go. And I don't think, obviously, I mean, even with the history within the U.S., there Mm -hmm. has not been collective value placed on black people's bodies, black people's Mm -hmm. brains, black Mm -hmm. people's trauma. Like there's, there's, it's not validated and it's not their feelings and their emotions are not valid or validated by community Mm -hmm. rather. Um, Mm -hmm. what would your advice be to individuals who maybe don't inherently feel that they're deserving of rest and even how to have worked to change that mindset for yourself? I don't know if you can Mm -hmm. I think we're all working to change society's mindset on mm-hmm. that, but how to mm-hmm. kind of look inwardly and adjust that in your own mind. Um, so yes, for me, I was definitely one of those people. I am a black woman who comes from Caribbean folk. Um, and being a child of a black immigrant is like another level as well. Um, rest what is that like they're like that's not even a word you are up before the sun is up and you go to sleep very very late and my people are of the mindset of two jobs minimum and um and that's whether or not you have children like who cares you just have to continue to work because growing up i saw my mother she would take care of us here, and then she had the responsibility of working to take care of those who are back home, too. So I struggled a lot with when I was feeling tired. I always felt like I was just never doing enough, no matter what I was doing. I always had a job at minimum since I was 15 years old, at least one job, plus going to school full time. So when I was realizing that I was burning out and that I didn't like the way I felt, I didn't like the life that I was living, I didn't like it, didn't look like my dream. Um, I just had to 
really go inward and ask myself, what do I want from this life? I'm going to be here for a finite amount of time, right? I want it to feel good. Whatever I can control, I'd like to control it. Right now, all I can control is my time to some extent. Um, And if I need rest for a day and just to do absolutely nothing, I'm going to do that. Because honestly, for when you get to be an adult, like you're taking care of yourself. So the only opinion that really, truly matters is your own opinion. As long as whatever you're doing doesn't hurt you or hurt anybody else, do as you will. Think about what you want for yourself and do that. I heard this quote yesterday and it like blew my mind. It said, you should only aim to impress two people. And it's not your parents. It's who you were at eight and who you will be at 80. And that's it. That's it. I love that. Why did that like almost make me tear up? It it did for me too. Yeah. I think so much of the inner work does go back to your inner child of so much of what we're doing as adults to try to understand ourselves and understand our environment and even work through trauma it it's very linked to who we are inside of that little tiny person in us that like yeah. has all these deep hurts and insecurities that we're trying to heal. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thought because it is like, like you said, as long as what you're doing is not being harmful to yourself or others. And I think that's a great caveat because there are some people who kind of live their life unapologetically while stomping on people. Right. It's not what we're referring we don't want that to. Either. Right. Yeah, not what we're referring to. But yeah, it, it's been I, I've always been something to, someone who has had a lot of I've been very perfectionistic my whole life. And I've always been someone Same. who has like very much so uh either put myself up to scale against other people or mm-hmm. been very cautious about like, oh God, what are they gonna say? Same. And social media has been shit for that because that's <laughs> yeah. basically all that social media is. Um, and I like, and this is even, I don't know if this is advice that would be helpful to anyone, but me personally in that kind of journey of how do I just try to live my most authentic self while also being really, um, open to learning. And, um, I I took a class once where they were talking about your lens that you can look on life and you can have an open, a closed or like a medium lens basically Mm -hmm. where you're taking things in, you're evaluating them and you're deciding if they are beneficial to your life or not. An Mm -hmm. open lens is when you take everything and you're not critically evaluating anything and that can get you in trouble. And closed lens is when you're taking nothing in and you're just assuming mm-hmm. that you know everything. Mm-hmm. And so obviously I, I want to live my authentic life, but also mm-hmm. have a, a medium lens of making sure mm-hmm. that I am questioning what I'm doing and making sure that I'm listening to people who uh, have lived their human experience. And mm-hmm. I don't want to try to assume that I have more knowledge about someone mm-hmm. else's lived human experience than them. Mm-hmm. Cause that's dumb. Um, <laughs> but for me, a huge part of learning to value myself was to make sure that I had people in my life who valued me Yes, and yes. who, um, affirmed me in this journey to become my authentic self. And for mm-hmm. me, becoming my authentic self meant leaving the church for mm-hmm. me. It meant, 
a lot of posts with, uh, you know, bra and undies and bikini posts because I was trying to love my body again. Mm-hmm. And I went through my Instagram. And if you want to, I would, I mean, hell, if you can just not have social media, just don't have social media because it's a yeah. lot better. But if you have social media and uh, go through your followers list, get followers off your follower list if they're not people who are going to affirm and support and value you. Yeah. It is so exhausting to be on your social media and post things that you feel are your authentic self and then have to uh, defend that or argue yeah. that to people who don't value you. Mm-hmm. I had so many people coming in my DMs saying like uh, things about the church or uh, sending me Bible verses or sermons. And I was like, I don't want that. Like that, yeah. first of all, that's triggering for me. So please don't. Yeah. And second of all, like just respect my decision as an adult and don't patronize me in that. And then even with posting things about my body, I had so many people uh, with this kind of patronizing that they were superior to me mindset of trying to like school me on it. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, okay, I don't need space for any, I don't have space for any of you in my life. I don't, right. I don't need to tolerate that. And yep. at the end of the day, like part of mindfulness is recognizing that your space is your space. And whether that's a digital space, whether that's who's in your friend circle, whether that's who you allow to take up your time. Mm -hmm. Um, it is your space and you do have autonomy and authority over that space. And you're allowed to remove people from that space, which is why the whole Piers Morgan thing is bullshit. Cause I remember even the, the guy, um, the other interviewer who I don't know his name cause I'm not British and I don't watch good morning Britain or whatever it was. Um, (laughs) I didn't even know that was a thing. I saw that and I was like, is this a spinoff? Um, <laughs> but um, I, who, the, the, there was a, a black individual, a black man mm-hmm. who uh, was, uh, thank God, uh, like questioning peers and being like, right. dude. And he even said like, she's allowed to not have you in her life when, because we're, you're allowed to just like remove yeah. people from your life, especially yep. people who are not healthy or not safe or yeah threatening or whatever. Like you don't owe people an explanation. And I -hmm. think there's obviously a difference between ghosting someone and like being a dick in that regard and just like cutting someone out of your life because it's necessary. Those are two different things. And you do have the right to your own space, your own time, your own energy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's something that I am so happy for black women that they are monitoring their spaces and are just mm-hmm. removing people who don't deserve to be there mm-hmm. because definitely they there's been so much stigma and expectations around black women to be mm-hmm. acceptable mm-hmm. and to be professional mm-hmm. and calm and even tempered mm-hmm. and accommodating mm-hmm. even when those accommodations held space for white violence yeah which you're yeah. asking women to put themselves in a in a position where there's violence against them to accommodate mm-hmm. the feelings of mm-hmm. their abuser, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. makes oh. zero sense. Yeah, all of that bullshit is like steeped in in white supremacy, and I'm I'm glad that now we're just like damned if you do, damned if you don't. So I'm just going to show up as myself and exactly. you can take it or you can leave it. In the meantime, I'm going to cultivate a circle of people that accept me and affirm me for me. Right. And if we're talking about it on an individual level too, I just had a thought that 
it's important to have people who are in your circle who not only affirm you, but hold you accountable to yourself. Yes. My best friend is really good at that. When she sees that I'm like starting to shut down or I'm starting to burn out because I'm not taking care of myself, she'll call me on it. Like, okay, so what have you done for yourself? Like, what, what, like, are you taking care of yourself? Are you like journaling? Are you meditating? Are you working out? Like, what are you doing for you? Because you sound like you're overwhelmed. You need those people too, you know, yeah. to reel you back in. Yeah, because I think, uh, and this has even been something that our society loves to take trends or positive things that are trending and then really overdo them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's happened with authenticity, where even I'm speaking my truth. I hate that verbiage Same. now because what does that mean? <laughs> they've, well, they've ruined it. It was initially yes. supposed to just be like I'm being authentic and I'm like speaking like my human experience, and it's now turned into I'm going to spew bullshit and label it truth when it's my not. truth, right? <laughs> and I think that that was actually probably our first mistake with the word my truth because truth is not entirely relative at all times. I think sometimes mm-hmm. it is, but there's also black and whites in mm-hmm. truth, mm-hmm. and. Uh, but yeah, we did the same thing with authenticity where it was like, um, I'm going to be authentic to the point of like, I'm just going to be a dick to everybody and like, take it or leave it, baby. And it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, hang on. Like you can be your authentic self. And like I said, also have like this medium lens where you're, you're being held accountable and you're having people say, Hey, and being held accountable to, uh, your actions. And then also, like you said, to holding you Mm -hmm. accountable to self-care and to making Mm -hmm. sure that you're taking care of yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. I have my best friend as well as like very tuned in to like, there was even, I got my COVID vaccine today, whoop, mm-hmm. whoop, but I panicked yes. and uh-huh. I actually had my COVID vaccine scheduled for Friday mm-hmm. and today's Monday for mm-hmm. people won't know that, but today's Monday and I had it scheduled on Friday <laughs> and I read an article that scared me out of it and I canceled it. And I was on FaceTime with my best friend throughout this entire interaction where I'm sitting there and I said, oh my God. Da, 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 da. And I like, you know, I'm not going to spew the article because it'll right. make other people nervous for no reason, but right. I read it and it made me panic. And then I canceled my appointment and she's sitting there quietly, not saying anything. And then I go back to reschedule an appointment and I was like, oh fuck, oh fuck, there are no more appointments. And she's sitting there just <laughs> kind of quietly going like, like shaking her head. And then I finally found an appointment and she goes, did you find one? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, hmm. And I said, <laughs> I said, don't say anything. And she goes, I don't say anything. And I said, I know you knew that that was going to happen. And she goes, yeah. And she goes, it's okay though. Like you needed to get it out of your system. And there was just kind of like a, it, it reeled me back in a little bit, but there, it is important to have people who don't, don't always just let you go on your spirals. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. it was even uh, helpful to have someone there because if, if I had gotten to a point where I had said, I'm not getting it, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get it. I'm, I'm done. I don't want to do it. She would have stepped in and been like, yeah. okay, hang on. Um, <laughs> and tried to kind of like speak some truth in that situation. But she did have, uh, even having that awareness of knowing she, she knew that I was right. going to circle back around and that I needed yeah. to let this tangent play out right. and <laughs> let it kind of do its thing. And then I was going to come back in. But if I had actually started to spiral, there would have been an intervention there where it's right. like, okay, hang on. We're not going to knock at the vaccine because you read an article. Like, that's dumb. And <laughs> she was just waiting to see, like, where I went with it and if she needed to reel me back in a little bit. And mm-hmm. it is important to have people who are real with you mm-hmm. and affirm you and validate you and value you, but also are real with you when you're, – you're, you're not going to always see things how – 
um, in, in like reality. You're not always mm-hmm. going to see things in a real light. And especially mm-hmm. if you're doing something that's harmful or hurtful, it is hard mm-hmm. as a human to look at that and be able to self-evaluate mm-hmm. if you have other emotions wrapped into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, the human, the human instinct is to be defensive. Yeah. It just is. Yep. If, if we yep. feel icky about something, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's primal, honestly. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, my therapist said something recently um, that is like the best advice in the world because if you are living in a society, you have so many biases, so many thoughts, mm-hmm. so many assumptions that you didn't necessarily put in your own brain. Right. It wasn't an active choice Did that not. you mm-hmm. that you put those in there. Even as a as a woman mm-hmm. looking on TV and seeing um uh you know someone dressed in more promiscuous clothing, you mm-hmm. kind of go straight to like a slut shaming mindset because you were literally like bred to think yeah. that way. Yeah. And my therapist told me, you're not responsible for your first thought you're responsible for how you challenge that thought and what thought comes after. Because there are many times I grew up in a really homophobic environment. There are many times when I will see something and my brain will go straight to a homophobic thought. And I have to Mm -hmm. pause myself and be mindful in that and be present in my own brain and say, Mm -hmm. hold on. That thought was intrusive. Mm -hmm. Why did I think that? I don't like that. That doesn't make me feel good about myself. That doesn't make me feel good about how I'm thinking about others. How do we correct that? Mm -hmm, And I think mm -hmm. that part of being a white person (laughs) in this whole time is a lot of correcting biases and intrusive thoughts because Mm -hmm. unfortunately there has been so much, uh, bias and violence towards the black community that the world has been taught. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there is going to be, if you're going through this kind of deconstruction phase a little bit where you're trying to deconstruct what you were taught to believe, Mm -hmm. there's going to be times where you still have icky thoughts and you have to sit there and actively correct those thoughts. Um, And it doesn't make you feel very good. It feels kind of gross. And you're like, ooh, I am a shitty person. But you you just have to – and that's where the self-awareness piece comes in is it it, you do have to develop the maturity to be able to look at yourself and say, why am I thinking like this? And that applies Mm -hmm. to anything. That even applies to Mm -hmm. the the worth and the rest. If you're Mm -hmm. choosing to rest and your first thought is, oh, I don't deserve this. I should be doing something. Mm -hmm. Challenge Mm -hmm. it. Challenge mm-hmm. it. Sit there and you can let it if, – if if you challenge a thought and you still feel like that thought is valid, you can let it go and let it keep going and yep. run its course. But if you challenge a thought and you say, okay, that thought isn't a valid thought or that isn't a thought that I feel is ethical or moral or okay to have, you can stop that thought in its tracks mm-hmm. and replace it with something else. And then that's the, the thought that you replace it with that is the ethical, moral, you know – better thought is the thought you can run with. And that's a thought that you can take action on. Yeah. Um, and sometimes thoughts are just, just thoughts. Yeah. Like I I find that I was constantly judging my thoughts and then judging myself, Mm -hmm. but my therapist was like, no thoughts are just their thoughts. Like, yes, they're inside your mind, but their thoughts, like 
take them you might want to analyze them sometimes and then just like let them be don't like what matters more than the thought is the action like if those thoughts then inspire certain actions like that matters more than just a thought let's not you know what I mean oh yeah because you can totally overthink it and mm -hmm. and like you said too like uh even when you have an over abundance of healing we were, I was just talking about this someone about how healing can be like very overwhelming and can happen all at the same time. And you don't quite know how to approach that. Mm-hmm. And if you do spend all your time thinking about every single thought and overanalyzing every thought, you won't get anywhere. No. Um, but yeah, there was a, a lot of yoga teachers will do the, did a thought just come into your brain? <laughs> like mm-hmm. acknowledge it and let it pass. And you don't yes. have to like confront it or face it or like give it space. You can just kind of be like, hello. Right. Like move on. Exactly. Exactly. Which was such a foreign concept to me when I first started doing any type of yoga because I was like, this is fucking weird. And like everyone (laughs) would just be like, yes. Like I had a thought. I let it pass. And I was like, I don't know what that means. Like I'm confused. (laughs) But it is like a really good, it's it's a little bit of like a pseudo in your brain thing, which it can kind of be hard to get a grip of how you let that pass. Mm-hmm. That was hard for me. I was like, I don't, what do you mean? Let it pass. It's here. And it's now I'm thinking about it. Cause I, yes. it's, now it's here. Yes. And I kind of interpreted, let it pass as silence it. And I remember one of my, my yoga teachers being like, you don't have to silence it. Like you can't mm-hmm. shut it down necessarily, but you can acknowledge mm-hmm. it, but not necessarily give emotion to it mm-hmm. and say, Oh, I had this thought. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's similar to when you're healing from things of, mm-hmm. oh, I had a thought, and this was my therapist, that this changed the way I thought about healing entirely. But safety, mm-hmm. going back to safety, any type of trauma evokes a sense of not feeling safe. Mm-hmm. And I think that with the Black community, it's been trauma after trauma after trauma after trauma. Mm-hmm. And yet, and I think that's actually part of the reason why there seems to be a lack of validation in that is because we don't view it as trauma. We view it as history Mm -hmm. and it's history, but it's traumatic history that real people went through and that Mm -hmm. real people still go through the after effects Mm -hmm. of that and the the generational trauma of that. And And the the trauma like that's happening real time too. Yeah. The trauma didn't stop. Yes. And I think it, just thinking, let's go back to Cheryl Underwood and Sharon Osborne. Yeah. That, just looking at that on my screen brought back memories that I've had in my own workplace. Yes, it right. wasn't like these huge, like displays, theatrical like moments, but they were like minor micro traumas that like built up, you know what I mean? And like right. that affects your self-worth, your self-esteem, how you love yourself, how you view yourself, how you view others, you know, like those are also traumas too. Cause they like shape, they, they shape your mind and, and change things, you know? Yeah. And I don't and think I, we acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just had a guest on who said they, they had, they took this from somewhere and they, neither of us can remember where it was from, but that trauma is anything that happens too much, too soon, too fast. Mm, and yeah any, that can be anything. And I even remember talking to someone about, cause I think sometimes we can get in this headspace of comparing traumas. And I, I get, I do that with myself where I'm a sexual assault survivor. And at the very beginning of my journey, 
I would like compare my assaults to other people's and be like, well, mine's not as bad as theirs. So I don't have, I am not allowed to have the space to do X, Y, Z. And we were talking about how you don't actually get to determine what your trauma is or if it's trauma, it is quite literally your brain saying, this is trauma. And then it interprets it as trauma. Like you don't have a say in that. It's it's neurological. Yep. And with situations like, I mean, you know, microaggression after microaggression makes a macroaggression. Like it's, yeah, it's going to keep building. And so that's going to be a traumatic thing. And I'm sure that so much of what has been in the media has been very triggering for black individuals mm-hmm. because it, mm-hmm. if, if, if I take it to myself and the media, even during the Me Too movement, when the Me Too movement was happening and there was a sexual assault was on every fucking screen, yeah. Yeah. I couldn't do it. I was like, yeah. I can't process this. I'm not in a space where I can be exposed to this much of trauma that is yeah. similar to my own. And it, in in the over the summer, it was just like even the sheer amount of footage of seeing violence against black mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. that's gonna be triggering in itself. Yeah, and I think that yeah. was one of the things where people started to say, Hey guys, stop sharing the fucking footage without yes. a trigger warning or without a this or without a that, or just don't share it and explain yeah. you can find it here if you need to find it and you need proof, which if you need yeah. proof low-key fuck you but like right, we, right. we don't keep sharing that it's trauma just like you wouldn't continuously share a video of someone getting raped yeah you don't and, do and, that and that's what we call it we call it trauma porn it, it was yes yes like, i saw that term as well yeah it, it's like in some ways people were like getting off on these really graphic images of an actual human's life being taken and it was several. It wasn't just George Floyd. It was It was a lot. Uh, the the names are escaping me, but there were there were like at least a handful this summer. Even even like just violence against span. Yeah, even just in the protests. Even people who mm-hmm. their names weren't broadcast and it wasn't like a whole like mm-hmm. m- minor movement. Mm-hmm. Even just people in protests, like black individuals in protests getting uh you know, beat by police officers. Yes. It's like, okay, we don't need to be showing yeah. this to all these black communities who are yeah. literally seeing trauma on every fucking thing that they look at yeah. right now. And now they're getting footage that, like you said, it's like it yeah. it's also we don't need to the more we see it, yeah. the more we're desensitized to it. I was purposely yeah. trying not to see it because I was like, I don't want to make this a normal thing in my life where I'm watching this and it's just like, whoop, okay, another video, and I just move on. But can I tell you? So I was like doing some research. This summer, and apparently back in like during the slavery and post-slavery era, like the Reconstruction era, I guess it would be, there would be picnics where there would be a lynching, and white families would go and watch these. It was a it was a spectacle. Um, I remember back in high school learning about like the Roman. What do you call those? Like. The Colosseum. The Colosseum. Humans yeah, have like, a weird thing for yes, pain yes. and trauma. And was, yeah. And I was like, that's wild. Like the whole family would go and like watch people literally fight to the death. That's oh, insane. That's the, the lynching. That's fucking disgusting. Yes. And then it brought me back to like, so this summer, while all these things are being shared over and over again, some of us were being re-traumatized and other 
portions of us were like really enjoying it to some level, you know? And I think we talk a lot about, you know, the the generational trauma that black people have endured, but there is white generational trauma too. Like the trauma of like, this may sound really contradictory and I'm just saying this now, so it may not sound right, may not make sense, but like the generational trauma of like being oppressive, you know Mm. what I mean? Like, yeah, no, I can see where, yeah, I, you know what I mean? I think, we, I think we, we are, we're both traumatized in different ways and we need to reconcile those traumas. Right. No, I think that everyone, I think that anyone who doesn't think that they have trauma in their life is seriously mistaken. Um, and that's not to like shit on you, but like, like you'd probably do have trauma. So maybe like look into that because right, I guarantee right. that you have it, but it's <laughs> something where like, and there's so many fucking layers to it too, where it's like, you can have a societal trauma and then you can be in an abusive home and then you can be in an abusive relationship and then you can get in a car accident and yada, 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 yada. It's like, and even things that I remember, like I had a car accident that was wildly traumatizing and Mm -hmm. I felt silly for being traumatized by it. Cause I was like, it's a fucking car accident. Car accidents happen all the time. And I couldn't drive for like four months because I was terrified And there's so many layers. And I remember I was just talking the other day about, um, about like, I think I'm finally like at the close of my, um, not my healing process, but with my sexual assault, I'm not in that same headspace of like, I'm having panic attacks every day. And I had to, I had to clarify because I was like, well, I think that I'm at the close of this intense part of this specific trauma (laughs) because I was like, I have more trauma that I need to unpack, but I think that this one is kind of almost done. Well, that's Um, good. That's huge. Yeah. It took a hot minute, but it's just something where it's like, I think that there, same thing, same thing with the trauma porn aspect where, um, I think that all comes from even, even in the call seems, even if you go back to biblical times and you look at crucifixions, people would circle around crucifixions and watch Mm -hmm. criminals get killed. Mm -hmm. And, I think it's one of those things where there is this disconnect in our brain where we can dissociate from the situation and we forget that people are human. Yes. And it just becomes this entertainment value. Even yes. if you're not you don't realize that you're actively being being entertained, there's this like drama and this um I mean hell, it's the same reason why we watch movies that are really graphic and really intense. There's there's this entertainment value to it. And, um, it's so important to once again, like be mindful in that and bring yourself back down to earth a little bit and, um, remember that that person is a human and this isn't just a video. And I think part of media and part of playing violent video games, not to be that person of like, violent Mm -hmm. video games ruin your brain, but they do desensitize you and watching violent movies and, um, all these different things. Like we then see a video on our phones, which is the same mm-hmm. phone that we might watch, you know, like the walking dead on where there's a mm-hmm. ton of violence. And then we see someone being beat on our phones and our brains are just like, it's me. Right. And it's exactly. not, it's a, it's a human and yeah. it's a person. And I think that's mm-hmm. even, I mean, hell, if you go to like, if someone, if someone has a gun against your head and you're, you're getting robbed, one of the mm-hmm. first things you're supposed to do is start listing off personal information. I have kids. I have a mom. 
I, you know what I mean? Like try to mm-hmm. evoke some sort of emotion, emotion. Yeah. to show I'm a human. I have yeah. a family. I have dreams. I have passions. Please don't hurt me. Yeah. There's it. Our, our, our brains need something to like bring us back down and ground us in the sense of mm-hmm. that, like reality that people that, are people and people have shared humanity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I, yeah, I would caution against, uh, I think it's so important to be educated, but mm-hmm. no one needs to see that level of trauma over no. and over again. No, no one. It's just, it's not healthy for your brain. Yeah. And, and you know, when you were talking about um, like people who weren't posting, I really appreciated those people. I really did. Because one of my favorite places on the internet used to be Instagram. Oh, yeah. So like- It's when horrible those- now. <laughs> Yeah, now it's like, all right, this sucks. But um, when, like, so I still like like to scroll. That would be, like, my time to, like, dissociate mm-hmm. for a second and just, like, just mindless scrolling and see yeah. pretty things, pretty people, pretty places. Yeah. So when that turned into, like, here are some resources for the Black Lives Matter movement over and over again, or look at this Black person being murdered or harmed or this black square, I'm just like, okay, so I have nowhere to run. And that's really selfish, right? Well, but I it's mean, my, it's, it's, it's my truth. No, but <laughs> your, your safe space became a trauma haven. Yeah. Like it makes yeah. sense that that would be upsetting. And I mean, yeah. I, I, it's way more selfish of me to think that. Cause I wasn't even the one, like it wasn't even, I wasn't viewing my own trauma, but I felt similar where I was like, I would go on Instagram. And I'd be like, okay, I can't do any more right, information right. and I'd get on TikTok with the hopes That's that right. it would be goofy and I remember like I would intake information on Instagram and I would set time to go on Instagram to intake information then once I got on TikTok if I came across anything political or racially mm-hmm. driven I had to skip it I was like I can't I'm I promise you I will approach it tomorrow when I have that space set aside but I got to see some dumb shit about yeah. someone and their dog or, the, or a dance or the, something. The yeah. Men with pots. I don't know if you've ever seen that account. The men with pots account on TikTok was the only thing that I watched for almost the entirety of June. And men it is a pots. it's a man. Don't don't watch him anymore. It's a man in the forest who he's literally in the forest and he like makes meals in the forest. Yes. Oh, that guy. Yes. He's creepy. Yes. Now he now. Oh, I'm so upset. It, he, it was my little safe haven on TikTok. And I would go and I'd watch them till I fell asleep. I had them all mm-hmm. saved in my phone in case Donald Trump took TikTok away. And I had them all. I had, <laughs> them, in a, wild I had them in a folder. I had everything. I remember like when, when the first he first threatened, I was with my partner at the time and I was sobbing. And I was like, I'm going to lose my like and he was like just save them like save them in case it happens overnight you'll have them it's okay and so i had all of them in my phone and now he's creepy now he um he took a turn and he he cooks but like he he made a chicken breast look like a vulva i saw it i saw (laughs) it he like put his finger through it and i was like what is happening here i thought it was me i'm just like no it wasn't you he does it now like he took like a sausage and like slapped it and i was like can you not like (laughs) this was a safe space for me and you've made it sexual and kind of creepy and and i'm not gonna lie if it was a woman doing it i would feel more safe you are a man in the fucking woods sticking your finger into a chicken vulva 
I'm yeah, not okay. I, I got to clarify that for the listeners. Not a chicken's <laughs> vulva. He had a piece of chicken and like made it look sexual. He did. He did. Also, I remember like, that. why chicken? Like, ew. Yeah. I, I fully know, believe in making fruits sexual. I think that fruits were meant to be sexual and they all look like <laughs> vaginas, but like they do. It, yes. It was like, oh, I saw that and it was like, it was literally like in July too. And I was like, oh, but you Why did you do this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But anyways, um, look at his old videos. He's he was great until he, <laughs> he came. There is now there's like a perverted undertone. But yeah, I think it's valid. I think there was some grief in in that for a lot of people to mm-hmm. kind of especially during a pandemic, we're all like, we have nothing else to do. <laughs> like yes, We can't yes. go anywhere. And now we can't get on our phones or else we're right. super overwhelmed. And um, I mean, Facebook's been shit for a long time. So I like just stayed away from oh, Facebook. Oh God, yeah. But I even recently had to, I just deactivated my Twitter and I'm going to deactivate it for 30 days and then log in really quick so I don't lose it. And then, you know, <laughs> but I, it was, it was too much. And for mm-hmm. me, it was the deconstruction community of Christianity because oh, okay. there was a lot of anger and bitterness in that community. And mm-hmm. it's become this constant, like every time I go on, I'm like, oh, I don't want to hear some other super negative thing. Like I just yeah. can't right now. And I think a safe space, if anyone is feeling that way, Pinterest, Pinterest is rarely mm-hmm. anything but fun yeah. um, and just lighthearted. But yeah. And I think yeah. specifically for you, it's so valid to feel grief in that if that's your safe haven and it's turned into, I, 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 I was exhausted this summer and I can't imagine how black individuals were feeling because I was exhausted just by the sheer information overload, but I can't imagine having an information overload, um, with a lot of performative activism and then with a lot of trauma porn and a lot of your trauma being thrown back in your face and you just, it's just expected for you to just like, see it and move on. Yeah. And one thing that also um, was tiring this summer was now that they had it, they had like Black Lives Matter and like little segments on like Nickelodeon and like the Cartoon Network. My little one was five at the time. And I try so hard to keep them young and innocent for as long as possible. And then he started having these questions and of course, me and my husband were prepared to one day have those conversations with him, or he may have had have his own experience to prepare him for his own experiences. And it came really, really soon, sooner than I thought I'd have to like have those talks with him. And I had to figure out really quickly in the moment how to dumb it down so that way his he still remains innocent and he still remains pure and he still is a kid, you know? So that was another level of like, oh God, I am just tired. <laughs> I am yeah. spent. Yeah. I, and, didn't, and I didn't even think about, I remember seeing the Nickelodeon thing and being like, oh, fuck yeah, go Nickelodeon. But I didn't even <laughs> think about that, about all the black little kids who are now having Love to be questions. exposed to their own mm-hmm. trauma when mm-hmm. they're watching a children's program, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which once and again, you'd you know, think that's a safe space for them and for them to be kids. Right. And I think if I'm being like, I guess, naive, I, I think those networks meant well, right? Um, it's just, I don't know. I just, I wasn't ready. I just wasn't ready for, cause he was five, you know, and it's very even, young. Yeah. Just wasn't ready. And honestly, um, 
just in speaking to other people, I know I had my first like incident when I was eight, right? And other people said around the same age, like seven, eight, nine oh, wow. is when they were like, yeah, is when we are, when we learn that we're not just human, we're not just people, we're black. Like, and it, it comes at you fast. That's a whole another level of trauma. Like we all remember our first incident. And That's I thought wild. I had a couple of years. Yeah. I thought I had a couple of years um, with Noah and he came earlier and makes me sad, you know, because especially since what his timeline of last year was, he was in kindergarten. So February was Black History Month. And then he went to school in March for two weeks and then he left school because Mm -hmm. of the pandemic. Right. So he was so much to take in for a little kiddo. Mm-hmm. And he was already having a hard time adjusting to being home, not having his activities because he's he's super extroverted. He's everybody's his friend. He mm. had had a huge social life. Right. And all that was cut off. And then. All right. Well, now this sucks. I'm stuck in the house with my mom and my little brother all day. Okay. I don't see my friends. So now I'm watching TV and like things are weird. And my parents speak in code a lot around me. Right, things right. Things are weird. And now what is this Black Lives Matter? Like, okay, what does it mean? He's learning what it means to be black. And I, and I hate that it's um, a very negative connotation because he just learned right. about the civil rights movement. And his question to me when he was seeing all these things in, in the summertime were like, well, is that like the civil rights movement? I'm just like, it literally is a civil rights movement still. Right. He's just like, right. that was time we're ago, still right? in it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, when he asked me that question, I was just like, oh, damn, yeah, <laughs> you're absolutely right. And for him to process that well watch him try to process it was a lot and I just hope he doesn't feel away because of it you know I I, right. I know for sure this year will be one of those first years that he remembered you know like you know how we could think back to like yeah, yeah. our first memories this summer absolutely will would have been that for him I think yeah, yeah. and I there's I'm a nanny and there is so much uh, interesting stuff going on with kiddos right now, because even looking at, um, kids that were in the month range still where they were five, six, seven months old when this all started, they're now, you know, almost a year and a half and don't have not had contact with other children, Yeah, which is insane. I was just talking to my mom about yeah. the fact that it's going to be very interesting to see the generation of kiddos how they might differ from previous generations and oh, big time. the, the, yeah. what this will do and how this will impact. Cause it was a collective trauma and yeah. it's, it's kind of rare that an entire generation has a collective trauma like that. Yeah. Um, I think like the only one that I can think of that isn't racially driven because I think that racial traumas don't necessarily affect the whole generation. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they affect a part of the generation. Mm-hmm. Um, but like 9-11 is like the only one that I can think of, of That's like what I was thinking being of, yeah. like the last like really big, like traumatic mm-hmm. thing that like mm-hmm. instilled fear into everyone. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think at the very least, um, I can't imagine trying to have that conversation so young and I'm sure that caught you off guard and was just mm-hmm. jarring in itself. But at the very least, at least it's like there's some f- progress being made. And at least there's potentially there might be some sort of maybe fingers fucking crossed that his adulthood will not be your adulthood and that there will be some sort of, of difference. And 
there's no way to predict that. Um, but like, I, I will keep trying. (laughs) I don't, I don't want to put that on you to keep trying, but I will keep trying. And, um, I hope that there are more, yeah, I hope that there are more people who are a safe space for him and a safe space for him to be, um, be proud of his blackness and be proud of who he is as a black man and to be safe as a black man. And, um, I, I, it's, it's, it's hard to, uh, every, every little bit of progress is, is important, but it's, it's hard when those steps are so small when it's something that, you know, you've been living in for years and I'm sure that that's so difficult, but, um, yeah, I I can only speak for myself, but I, (laughs) I will keep trying to be a safe space for, for yeah. people and for kiddos like him to grow up and have people who have his back and who yeah. um, cheer him on and support him and protect him with everything that I can. Yeah. Ooh, I, I hope that his um, adulthood is different and that it's better. But I'm, I'm hopeful, but I'm not confident. I'm yeah. really not. You know, I. Uh, my next door neighbor still has their Trump 2020 flag. Oh. <laughs> I'm just like, first of all, bruh, give it's it March. Up. Like, give it up. <laughs> um, like it, it's just, it, it is what it is, you know? And yeah. Cause I just think about that. My neighbor has kids, right? So like, yeah, he's, he's instilling whatever in his kids. And right. There's already people who aren't safe next door let alone just in the world. Right. Right. You know, so it is what it is. All you can do is just, I don't know. I try to be my, my best parent self. um, Yeah. Well, even instilling the values that you're instilling on your personal social media, even instilling that, that the value of rest and that he's worthy Mm -hmm. of rest there, that I know Mm -hmm. that is not spoken into black men. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so even having a mom who, Mm-hmm. encourages rest and encourages self-awareness and listening to your Self-care. body when it needs you to stop mm-hmm. and when it needs you to rest. I mean, that alone is going to change how his adulthood is like that I in itself so. of, of just you being a mom who is attentive and values his feelings and values his boundaries is that that alone will set him up better for adulthood. I hope so. And honestly, one of the reasons that I stay in therapy and I stay trying to get better even when it's so uncomfortable and I just fucking hate it a lot of the times is because I want to model good behaviors and I want to be an example. Cause if he's taught me anything, it's that he does not hear a word I say, but he'll <laughs> do everything that I do good or bad. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. Yep. And there it is. I mean, uh, you being able to, and it's so beautiful how that can happen to how you taking care of yourself and modeling that, which is so healthy for you, will instill care for himself in him. And that's not even something that's like, it's not like you're having to do something unhealthy for you to mm-hmm. to help him. It's something that is quite literally going to fill you up and help you. That's then going to teach him that that's how he can take care of himself. Yeah. And I'm hoping that even that his generation, that that's 
something that, you know, if when we're looking back as grandmas and looking (laughs) down at that generation and they're kind of holding the fort down, that there's going to be just so much more uh, love and acceptance and empathy and, and and, um, mental health awareness. And that mental health won't even, it won't even be a mental health awareness. It'll just be like talking about your mental health is just normal and there's no awareness piece to it. It's just a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I want to appreciate, I want to thank you for coming on and being so honest and being so vulnerable and having a conversation like this, because, I'm sure that even having conversations like this, like you, you owe me nothing to have this type of a conversation, but I really do appreciate you taking time and being so intentional and so, um, loving and graceful in your words as well. Um, but I wanted to give you a little shot here to plug anything you want to plug, promote anything you want to promote. The platform is yours. You can share whatever you'd like to share. (laughs) Um, I have a podcast. It's called Be Well, Sis. And it is a podcast that emphasizes um, self-care and leveling up emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and physically, specifically for Black women, because we just, the wellness community has pretty much shut us out. So we're just talking about wellness in a way that makes sense for us and yeah so if you ever want to listen please do we're on all streaming platforms and then i have an instagram page it is be well sis underscore podcast um i'm not as active as i used to be there because it is a whole job and i'm just like okay i actually have a job so i can't be doing this um, right, but right. I am there. If you DM me, I, I answer. If you email me, um, I answer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's be friends. <laughs> yeah. Well, we will post all of, I say we, it's me. It's I'm the only person that's a part of this. <laughs> um, I, I will post everything in the show notes. I'll get everything linked up and, um, I will tag, at your socials as well in the post, but, um, Thank you again for coming on. I feel like this will be a very beneficial conversation and it was uh, helpful for me as well. It's, it's always helpful to learn from someone's human experience directly and to, to hear what they've been through and to learn from uh, you even about just even your take on the summer. I feel like there hasn't been a lot of conversation around the summer. At least I haven't had a lot of conversation about the summer because I, I want to be respectful of that space, but I do appreciate mm-hmm. you coming on. Um, of but yeah, so that's all the time that we have for today. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please rate us five stars on iTunes, leave us a review if you want to. You can also follow my blog on Instagram at Serafina blog and visit us online at serafinablog.com. And to end our time, unclench your jaw, take a deep breath, And remember, you can always learn, you can always grow, and you can always choose to live your life in a more mindful way. We will see you next week. 